What's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Cinemonograph. I'm your host, George A. Velez. Very happy to have you. For those of you joining us for the first time, a monograph is a scholarly essay on a particular aspect of art, or it can be a collection of essays in a book or a series of volumes. So think of this podcast as a collection of essays examining all things film-related. Today, we're talking about one of the most iconic villains in pop culture, the Joker. To some, he's goofy. To others, he's terrifying. To me, he's a fellow Prince fan. Listen to Prince's Batman soundtrack. It's fucking incredible. We're examining different interpretations of the character and his role in cinema history. So let's get nuts. You know what happened to this guy, Jack? Wow. Made mistakes. And then he had this. This lights out. Now you want to get nuts? Come on. Let's get nuts. Tell me something, my friend. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? I always ask that of all my prey. I just like the sound of it. Every few decades, something very unique happens. An audience sits down in a movie theater, the movie screen illuminates, and the audience is swept away in the story. The energy of the auditorium changes, and everyone realizes they're watching something special. This happened when audiences were introduced to Darth Vader. It happened again two decades later when Clary Starling walked into that dungeon down the corridor and was greeted by Hannibal Lecter. And it happened in 2008 when this masked figure robbed a bank in Gotham City. The Joker arrived. He'd been in a live-action movie before, but this time something was different. Something we cannot articulate. Cinema had changed. The Dark Knight was the highest-grossing film of 2008. Almost 20 years before that, Batman was released and was the second highest-grossing film of 1989. Fast forward back to 2016, Suicide Squad was one of the highest-grossing films of the year. Three years later, Joker's release and grosses a billion dollars at the box office, becoming the highest grossing R-rated film of all time. The Joker has certainly made his stamp on the entertainment industry. The role has been pursued by the biggest movie stars and character actors. Since 1989, the Joker has been portrayed by the best actors of their era. In fact, each actor that has played the Joker has something in common. They're all Academy Award winners. Jack Nicholson had two Oscars and an insane amount of nominations before the film was released. He would go on to win one more. Jared Leto had won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor just three years before. And Heath Ledger and Joaquin Phoenix both won Academy Awards for their portrayals of the character in their respective films. The Joker first appeared in the first issue of Batman's solo comic book series. Since then, he has become Batman's archenemy, the first villain that comes to mind when someone mentions Batman. Everyone has a fascination with Catwoman, Two-Face, and the Riddler, but there's something about the psychotic clown that captures people's imagination, making him one of the most adaptable pop culture villains in the past 80 years. The creation of the Joker has a lot in common with his fictional origins. There's a lot of ambiguity and contradiction. Bob Kane, the creator of Batman, refused to give his collaborators credit for creating characters, most famously Batman co-creator Bill Finger, who introduced a lot of aspects of Batman that are now staples of pop culture. In 1940, the Joker was created by three people, Bill Finger, Bob Kane, and his assistant, Jerry Robinson. On the creation of the Joker, Robinson said, I felt that Batman needed a supreme arch-villain to test him. Batman didn't need another crime lord like Al Capone. I felt he needed something more exotic. The strip needed an antagonist that would be more enduring. 
a continuing conflict in the literary tradition of Holmes and Moriarty or King Arthur and Mordred. The Joker was a diabolically sinister villain and yet had a clownish aspect. I found the idea of a sinister clown utterly fascinating. It was the 80s where the Joker reached his final form. DC Comics published three definitive Batman Joker stories. Alan Moore's The Killing Joke revealed a possible origin where he was a stand-up comedian who donned the Red Hood criminal alias to support his family, and he fell into a vat of chemicals. Years later, the Joker wants to prove even the most decent man will abandon his morals after having quote-unquote one bad day. He kidnaps Batman's ally, Commissioner Gordon, and shoots and paralyzes his daughter, Barbara Gordon, who fights crime as Batgirl. In a death in the family, the Joker murders Batman's sidekick Robin, and Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns explores the symbiotic relationship between Batman and the Joker. When Batman returns to crime fighting after a 10-year absence, he reawakens the Joker, a catatonic mental patient. Now that the Joker's legendary comic book status had been established, Warner Brothers wanted a movie star to play him in Tim Burton's Batman, which was released in 1989. They considered Tim Curry, who probably would have been better here than in the TV adaptation of Stephen King's It. They consider David Bowie, James Woods, and Ray Liotta. Imagine Ray Liotta as the Joker. I mean, he'd be insane. Like, Jack Nicholson is insane, but he's insane in, like, a fun way. Like, he's like a crazy uncle. But Ray Liotta is... He actually seems like the kind of guy that would beat you to death with a hammer while he's cackling. And um, that's pretty that's pretty terrifying. And that would probably make a good movie. John Lithgow auditioned, but convinced Tim Burton to not cast him, a decision he later regretted. Robin Williams campaigned hard for the role, which probably would have been really fucking insane to see like a Joker with big cokehead energy. But of course, they went with their first choice, Jack Nicholson, who at that point had already been carved into the Mount Rushmore of actors. His performance as the Joker was praised by critics and fans, influencing every Joker performance from live action to animation. The film changes Joker's origins. He's Jack Napier, the psychotic number two to Gotham's most notorious crime boss, Carl Grissom. He's having an affair with Grissom's girlfriend. When Grissom discovers this, he alerts the cops when he asks Jack to pull off a job at the chemical plant. When the cops and Batman arrive, a shootout ensues and Batman tries to save him before before he falls into a vat of chemicals. Again, Michael Keaton's Batman, who doesn't look um, muscular at all, is able to hold a 200-pound Jack Nicholson with one hand before he accidentally falls into a vat of chemicals. I ask you if you find that believable. I mean, whatever, it's a movie. Napier, now disfigured, returns and murders Grissom and takes over Gotham's criminal underworld and stalks Vicky Vale. He considers himself an artist and obsesses over taking Batman's place in the headlines. In this film, Jack Napier murdered Bruce Wayne's parents when he was a young hood. Bruce discovers this when he first meets the Joker at Vicky Vale's apartment. Bruce starts swinging around a fire poker like a crazy person, madly yelling, you wanna get nuts? The insanity of this scene is fucking baffling. I don't know why, I don't understand why a logical human being would do this. The Joker pulls out a pistol and asks, Have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? Something that Napier says to people before he shoots someone. Something Bruce witnessed him say to his parents before they were shot down when he was a child. This deviation from the comics adds a new layer to Batman and Joker's relationship as if the two were destined to meet each other when they became their true selves. Two costume freaks, one a creature of terror, the other a symbol of joy and laughter, battling for Gotham's soul. On January 22, 2008, Heath Ledger was found dead in his Soho apartment. 
He was filming Terry Gilliam's The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, where he frequently commented on his insomnia and his use of prescription medication to help him sleep. His lack of sleep affected his health and caused him respiratory illness. The toxicology report showed that Ledger died from an accidental overdose of pills, usually prescribed for insomnia, anxiety, and cold symptoms. He never completed filming The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, leaving the Joker Ledger's last completed role. Ledger's death has now become the stuff of Hollywood legend, a talented actor whose death was caused by his intense method acting. Ledger prepped for the role by staying alone in a hotel room where he read comic books for research, created a diary for the character, and experimented with voices and physicality to distinguish himself from Jack Nicholson's iconic performance. The public perception is the intensity of playing the Joker, a character so disturbed, took a toll on Ledger's mental health, causing his insomnia, which led to his death. This is not true. Not even a little bit. When the cameras cut, Ledger would just be himself, smoking cigarettes and goofing around, skateboarding in full costume. Ledger's makeup artist, John Caglioni, said he would help others relax, never letting the intensity of the roles overwhelm him. And no matter how banged up or bruised Heath was after a long day, after we take off the last drop of makeup, he'd just hug everybody in the trailer before he left. Ledger was looking for something a little out there, something as odd as Johnny Depp's Jack Sparrow. He said, I feel like this is an opportunity for me to not take myself too seriously. And for some reason, I just gravitated toward the Joker, and I knew I had something to give to him, and I just instantly had an idea of how to do it. As for his insomnia, Ledger said in an interview that whenever he took on a role, he suffered from insomnia. Michelle Williams, his partner from 2004 to 2007, said he'd had trouble sleeping as long as she'd known him. His Joker is parts Clockwork Orange, parts Francis Bacon painting, part rock and roll star like Iggy Pop and Tom Waits. There are dozens of references Ledger used for his performance, but they create something that is 100% Joker. Ledger said his performance as a Joker is the most fun he's ever had and probably will ever have. Unfortunately, it seems this turned out to be true. The Joker has no origin in the film. His disfigurement is not caused by falling into a vat of chemicals. His permanent grin is a glass glow smile. In fact, he gives two different origins for his scars and his bleached skin is now white makeup, functioning as sweaty war paint. The Joker has a sense of humor, using comedy as a way to comment on the absurdity of the established order. He's an agent of chaos, causing anarchy, obsessing over Batman, Gotham's symbol of order. The Joker robs banks, takes over Gotham's underworld, causes chaos in Gotham by threatening to blow up a hospital, a Gotham City ferry, and a prison barge. He murders cops, judges, and the woman Batman loves, Rachel Dawes. This broke the rules. Before that, you never killed the superhero's love interest. In this movie, he fully carries out what his comic book counterpart attempted to do in The Killing Joke. He causes Harvey Dent, Gotham City's district attorney, to abandon his moral code after his disfigurement, transforming him into the villain Two-Face. You see, madness is like gravity. All you need is a little push. This is the best depiction of Batman and the Joker's relationship in a live-action film. Their yin-yang relationship is the film's highlight. The Joker tries hard to get Batman to break his no-kill rule. Batman even considers it. In the last scene Batman and the Joker have together, Joker says, I won't kill you because you're just too much fun. I think you and I are destined to do this forever. When all is done, the Joker is able to do something he wasn't able to accomplish in the 1989 film. He wins the battle for Gotham's soul. Heath Ledger's unpredictable performance, complete with facial tics and a voice that switches octaves from one sentence to the next, won him a posthumous Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. Jared Leto, fresh off his Academy Award for 2013's Dallas Buyers Club, was cast in David Ayer's Suicide Squad, released in 2016. 
Leto is known for his intense method acting. He took a similar approach to Ledger, isolating himself and ingesting a variety of different influences. He researched shamanism. He felt the Joker may be much older than people think, so he listened to gospel music from the 1920s. Director David Ayer felt Joker should look more like a modern gangster and gave the character grills and covered him in tattoos. This wasn't your daddy's Joker. Leto said, I took a pretty deep dive, but this was a unique opportunity and I couldn't imagine doing it another way. It was fun playing these psychological games, but at the same time, it was very painful. These psychological games included Leto hiring a henchman to drop a dead pig on the rehearsal room table, sending his co-stars Joker gifts like used condoms and anal beads. He sent Will Smith bullets and Margot Robbie a rat, which she kept because that's what her character Harley Quinn would do. He never broke character. Leto's goal was to freak everyone out and inspire chaos on set. He has since backpedaled on these rumors, even though all these stories were confirmed by the cast members. Actually, he also said it on like a red carpet event. Somebody asked him who he sent used condoms to. His response was, everybody. Before the events of the film and Batman v Superman, Leto's Joker murdered Robin and tortured his Arkham Asylum psychiatrist Harleen Quinzel into insanity. This is the first live action appearance of the Joker's abused girlfriend Harley Quinn, a popular character introduced in the animated series. The depiction of these characters' twisted romance was highly anticipated by fans. Unfortunately, this isn't fully explored. When Harley Quinn is arrested, the Joker is heartbroken and searches for her so he can break her out of prison. This interpretation is not faithful to their origins. In the source material, the Joker physically and mentally abuses Harley. Whenever she is arrested, the only time he misses her is when she is not present to do his bidding. He is not capable of love. He views Harley as a possession, a tool to fulfill his agenda either as a second-in-command or a punching bag. There have been reports that there are scenes depicting their relationship on the cutting room floor. As for Jared Leto's performance, let's just say it definitely had people talking. Critics found his performance intriguing. Others felt he couldn't reach the heights of Nicholson and Ledger. Comic book fans thought, what the fuck is this? Me included. His performance is very out there. Not out there like Heath Ledger's performance. It's just out there. Even though Ledger's was odd, there was a method to the madness, and that's why audiences responded to it. Supposedly, a lot of footage was cut, but Leto's performance is all over the place. He's wacky for the sake of being wacky. He has a tattoo of a smiling face on his hand that he puts over his mouth when he laughs. He growls like a panther in, in a scene. His line delivery is over the top. Then there's his Joker laugh, which kind of sounds like a strangled velociraptor. Leto tried hard. Too hard. He's crazy because the Joker's crazy. But that doesn't mean the Joker's behavior doesn't have his own logic. The shamanism, the gospel music, the Joker gifts don't bring any clarity. Let's hope we get to see the David Ayer cut one day and see all of Jared Leto's work because right now, Joker and Suicide Squad is a joke. Ha. Todd Phillips, the director of comedies like Old School, The Hangover, and his masterpiece Starsky and Hutch, recently switched to directing dramas. At a screening of his film Road Dogs, he left the theater, smoked a cigarette, a tradition for him since he has trouble watching his films. He thought about the state of Hollywood and the films he wanted to make. He looked at the billboard across the street. It was promoting the latest comic book film. He thought to himself, if anyone wanted to make a successful movie, they has to feature, quote unquote, one of those guys, meaning a superhero. Then a light bulb switched on in his head. In order for him to make the films he wanted to make, he'd make a comic book adaptation. Not just any comic book adaptation, a grounded film. One that would flip the genre on its head. Phillips pitched to Warner Brothers and convinced them to do standalone films outside their cinematic universe. Warner Brothers greenlit the film, angering the current Joker actor Jared Leto. 
Warner Brothers wanted DiCaprio, but Phillips got his number one choice, hot boy Joaquin Phoenix. Considered one of the finest actors of his generation and known for his wild acting style, making his performance as the film's protagonist, Arthur Fleck, extremely unpredictable. Arthur Fleck, a clown and stand-up comedian in 1981 Gotham City, doesn't have the best luck. He has a condition that causes him uncontrollable laughter. The film opens with Arthur getting jumped by a bunch of Puerto Ricans from the Bronx. Gotham, I mean Gotham, as a Puerto Rican from the Bronx, I'm probably just projecting something. Anyway, he's seeing a psychiatrist, he struggles to take care of his sick mother and make ends meet. When Arthur is fired from his clown job, he's attacked by businessmen on the train and he takes out his piece and lights them up and he runs to the bathroom and dances. This event starts a class four in Gotham with clown masks becoming a symbol for the poor. From that point on, things start escalating. He starts a relationship with his neighbor Sophie, played by Zazie Beetz. He gets cut off from his therapy and medication due to budget cuts. He discovers he might be the illegitimate son of a billionaire Thomas Wayne, Bruce Wayne's father. Then we realize his relationship with Sophie is a delusion. No shit, the guy doesn't have any social skills and we're led to believe that he suddenly has a, a fully blossoming relationship with his neighbor. He murders his clown colleague and dances on some stairs in the Bronx. I mean Gotham. He appears as a guest on the late night Murray Franklin show where he talks about the hideous flaws of society, shoots Murray in the head, and he's celebrated by the protesters in the demonstration outside where Thomas and Martha Wayne are murdered in front of their son, Bruce Wayne. Warner Brothers was understandably very nervous about this portrayal of Joker. After all, this was a character whose face was on pajamas at Target. But they had nothing to worry about because the film grossed a billion dollars and won Joaquin his first Oscar. Good for you, Joaquin. Some called it the best comic book adaptation since The Dark Knight. The film was not without its controversy, however. There was concern the film would inspire violence. Controversy that applied to one of its influences... Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver. In fact, the film is heavily inspired by Scorsese films from the 70s and 80s, such as King of Comedy, in terms of story, character, and aesthetic. Phillips even cast Robert De Niro as Mary Franklin. It takes cues from another film inspired by Taxi Driver, You Were Never Really Here, also starring Joaquin. The film isn't an adaptation of a comic book per se, but it has its references to The Killing Joke and The Dark Knight Returns. Arthur is a failing comedian similar to The Joker and The Killing Joke, and the late night talk show scene at the end references the Dark Knight Returns, where the Joker also commits murder. Phillips said this is a different interpretation of the Joker, but Arthur doesn't have much in common with the Joker other than those two scenes. He wears the traditional Joker costume at the end, but does this make him the Joker? Arthur is very disturbed, but he's not very smart. The Joker is an evil genius. The audience has to make a giant leap to believe in 20 years he'd match wits with Batman, a detective with genius intellect. Now, if this were a film that didn't take place in Gotham City, if the billionaire in the film wasn't Thomas Wayne, and if Arthur didn't dress up in the costume, the film wouldn't have gotten the recognition that it received. And if you really think about it, you can actually take all these elements out of the film and it would still be the same. Phillips made a weird comic book film that made a billion dollars without a CGI battle at the end. That's a big victory for character studies and out there comic book adaptations. Phillips finessed the game and made the Martin Scorsese film he always wanted to make. What is the appeal of the Joker? The character has endured for eight decades in some way, shape, or form, balancing a variety of different tones and entertaining audiences of all ages. He's funny to toddlers, to some disturbed young men he's a role model, and to the average person, the Joker is a metaphor for anything that terrifies us. Whether it's an evil that can take a talented young actor's life, whether it's a terrorist such as 2008's The Dark Knight, or whether it's an angry white man as in Todd Phillips' Joker. 
The appeal of Batman is that he's a revenge fantasy. He kicks the shit out of goons in order to cathartically deal with his pain. Everyone can relate to that on some level. Not the Joker. As Batman says in the comics, he's not crazy. He's just evil. The Joker represents the evil of the world. He shows us our fantasy is a joke. And he's laughing in our face. That's it for this episode of The Cinematograph, everyone. Please follow us on your preferred streaming platforms to get updates when we drop new episodes. Or you can follow me at Twitter at George underscore A underscore Velez and Instagram at George.A.Velez, all lowercase. Tell your friends who love movies. Tell your friends who love Batman. Tell your friends who love the Joker. How do you feel about the Joker? Stay tuned, everyone. Same bat time, same bat channel. I have to go. There is a bat in my belfry. Thank you once again for coming, and I'll see you next time. This has been The Cinemonograph. Cinemonograph.